Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. A series uh, on the book of Ephesians. We're going to be teaching through this book in the coming weeks. Um, pretty much almost all we will be in the book of Ephesians. So I want to encourage you to uh, be able to look right at the text that we're going to be talking about. And we will be focused on Cheryl Red 2, 1 through 5. We're going to look at all of that, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 this morning, okay? So um, b- before we, we get into um, the, the word, I just, um, what's going on in, in this passage is, is Paul is giving some theology, but he's, he's basically explaining and, and, and asking the, the, the Ephesians, basically this whole circular church, do you know these things? Do you understand these things? As if I would say, do you know God this morning? Do you know you've been saved by grace? Do you know that the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Do you know that early, most of you don't know this, because this, this happened pretty early today, but do you know that early this morning there was a deer walking through our sanctuary? Now all your eyes got big. That statement's not true, but the other two were a lot more powerful The power of God dwells on the inside of you. You have been saved by grace. So I hope those two, by the end of this message today, those two statements will light up your eyes as you appreciate exactly what it is that God has done for you. All right, so today we're going to do a message simply entitled, just right through the the key nuggets of this passage, um, from death and the devil to grace. So let's pray. Lord, open up our hearts, open up our minds that today we may receive from you. Today could just be another Sunday to listen to a talking head and uh, to allow words that that come out, to allow a time of worship to make no eternal impact in our life whatsoever. Or today could be another day where, today could be a day where we could be changed from the inside out. Today could be the day, a day that could set the course of our life throughout the rest of eternity. And all of these things are right now in the moment for each and every one that is sitting here listening. Whether or not we will choose to hear and respond to the word of God or whether we will just listen. So Lord, may we be those that hear and may we be those that respond this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to read all of this here through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were, well, actually, I'm just going to pick up, where, to save some time, I'm going to pick up where Cheryl left off. And if I surprise you, I am going to get us to communion, so I may be a little quicker um, than normal this morning, but we'll, we'll give it my best shot. But it says, and God raised us up, in verse 6, I'm sorry, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, so we're going to look back. Now we're going to look, take a look at verse 2, verse uh, 1, which simply says, I want to talk about how death 
is the beginning. Paul said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You hear this word a lot throughout Scripture. Expositor's commentary quotes John Calvin as saying, the most vital part of man's personality, the spirit, is dead to the most important factor in life. So in other words, they're living, but the most important factor in life is God. They are living their life without God. And they're living their life with a recognition even that God exists, but no lifestyle, no spiritual turn on to, to, that acknowledges Him and lives for God's glory. And so when Paul says this, he includes himself. He uses the word we. We were once dead in our transgressions. A man who was incredibly religious, incredibly passionate as he was religious. And all of these things that he was doing, he felt that he was doing everything right. And then at this moment, as he's, or not in this moment, after he has his encounter with Christ, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he says, I was dead without Christ in my life. That is, death is the beginning. Recognizing that this is our state without Christ is a vital part of our salvation and vital part of understanding what it is what God wants to do in our life. Death is the beginning. Death makes us long for life. I know even all across this room, many of you recently have had, had funerals that you've attended and some very tragic and it's in those moments that oftentimes there's a, there's a time of mourning, but there's also a season where we recognize that we need to embrace the life that we have been given. This is what this reality does to us. Today, this morning, I confess that there's some dead areas of my heart that I have not given free reign to God in. So I believe, I'm sure that's probably true of you, if you would be honest and admit it. Spiritual growth happens when we can acknowledge our death. We can acknowledge our need for a Savior. And so Paul goes on to describe what this death looked like and the key influence to living life without the most important factor in life. What is that key influence? Well, here's the next thing. Satan is working. You get this in Ephesians 2.2. 2. We don't see that direct language there, but it says, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and then verse 2, in which you used to live... When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Um, if you have a different version, it may say something like the prince of the power of this air, of the air, excuse me. And so I want to give you some real simple things, and because this is, the, I, I know I've done this at some point in the past before, but I'm giving you, give you a quick theology, because many people have a, misconstrued perception of what the devil is, of what Satan is. And so some things that aren't on that slide, first thing you need to know is that, um, that uh, one of the most misconceptions I had when I was 19 years old, and when you have this image of the devil, okay, that you're scared of or whatever, what is, can we pop out some things, what do you, what do you think of? What do you, wh how would you describe his appearance? Huh? Horns. What else? What does he usually have in his hand? A pitchfork. I, I don't know. There, I know why, but it's really silly. But there's a pitchfork in his hands. And does he have a tail? Yeah, he's got a tail. Okay. And now where is he? Yes. The most, the, the biggest misconception of all that I bought into that I understood up until the point when I was 19 years old. Satan's 
Not in hell, church. Where is he? He's right here. One of the biggest things that most people don't understand, and that's exactly what we read about in Ephesians. Now, one thing we need to understand is that he's not omnipresent like God. That means he can't be everywhere at once. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful like God is. And he's not, um, he's not all-knowledgeable. That means so he, he doesn't have all knowledge like God does, but he has a greater perspective than we do. And he's one spiritual being, one angelic being. So I want to give you some, uh, uh, some simple, quick theology here. And before I do, well, the first thing I will say is, is Ephesians says, he has dominion. He has, I, w- I would rather say, he has some dominion over this world. He has dominion over this world. We'll read about that in Ephesians, excuse me, 2 2. I must put that down wrong. So before I go any further, you, we, we think oftentimes as the devil is something that is that's not really relevant to our life. And I want you, you're going to understand how this, uh, you're going to understand how this theology plays out as far as what his ultimate goal is. Now, as I begin to read these things to you, all right, it says that he is the prince of the power of this air. He is the key influencer in this world. I want you to ask yourself some questions as I begin to read through some of these things. Are you being influenced by the world or are you being influenced as the greatest influence in your life? the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's some theology of the devil. The first thing that he does is he questions God's will in Genesis 3.1. Does God really care if I get drunk every once in a while? Does God really care you could fill in the blank for the next thing, the next thing? If you've ever found yourself asking that question and you've read it in ink in Scripture... Then you understand what it's like where he questions the Lord's will. Are you being more influenced by the world or are you being more influenced by the Holy Spirit? And here's what it, and, and the, the, the better thing that we need to consider in our life, and this is an ethic that I hope that many of you remember, is that we oftentimes find ourselves asking that question, why is this wrong? Why is this wrong? And I think that there's, there's some validity. There's times when we should ask that question. But the better question we should be asking is, why is this right? Why, if, if this is something I'm making a choice whether I should do or not, how is it good? How is it righteous? How does it bring about the Lord's will in this earth? And so the next one. I'm just going through some of his things here. Next, he is a liar. John 8, 44. I think you understand what a lie is. I think you can understand how a lie works. But what he's better at, um, so he's not just a, an outright liar. He operates in deception, as 2 Corinthians eleven three states. Deception is when it looks like the truth and it looks really attractive, and it looks like a good decision, and it looks like what everybody else is doing, and it makes the most sense to this world, but it's ultimately a lie. It's a farce. It's a misconception. And how many of you, when you looked at that picture, perhaps, oh, look at that little angel watching over the city. (laughs) As Scripture says, Satan appears as an angel of light. And so he, he's a liar. He operates in deception, appears to be truth, appears to be light. And, and the next one, he sets himself up against God, hoping to become as God himself. He sets himself up against God, hoping to become as God himself. We don't, 
I know you probably don't happen to know anybody in this world that really they're their own God. They run their own life. All of their decisions are not based on anything else than their own moral compass, whatever they've determined to be right and true, and they live their life according to 100% their own standards. That's the way most people live, and that's the way of the world. And so finally, I want to share this with you. It says his spirit, his spirit is intentional rebellion against God, but his work in this world, and this is, this, is, this is the one piece you have to understand. His spirit is intentional rebellion against God, but his work in this world is to create unintentional rebellion away from God. So in other words, if you've never heard this teaching on, on and it's a really short teaching on, on the devil that I'm giving you today, but if you've never heard this teaching before, I want you to leave two things understanding that the enemy is here. He is the key influencer of this world. The second thing I want you to understand is that his goal, the goal of this, the influence of the world, the prince of the power of the air, is not to scare you. It's not so when you go to sleep you're so scared, you're, you're the devil, that you can't go to bed. That's not at all his goal. His goal is ultimately to pull you away from your destiny. To keep you from living out the life that you were called to live that is found in Christ. And he'll use any tactic that he possibly can. He'll use greed, give you everything you've ever wanted. You could call it success, have anything you could want, have any people you can tell what to do, have any, be able to purchase anything you want. He'll take that, or he'll take the complete opposite. He can use poverty and depression for the same purpose, to have you feeling that your life has no meaning, your life has no purpose, so what is the point? Boom, he wins. His influence has captured you. And so I'm not sharing any of these things to scare you. I'm doing all these things as a reality that this is what Paul says. This is the way that the world is. And, and, and the word you hear me use on Sundays very often is the word default. If we're not following Christ, then by default, we're following somebody else. And so there's, that, that's why the, the, the Paul begins this by saying we first must realize that we are dead without Christ, and we are men and women in need of a Savior. And I hope as we're doing this, you're asking yourself, what is the greatest influence in my life? Am I primarily sitting here today influenced by the ways of this world, or am I influenced by the Holy Spirit? And now, the last thing we're going to talk about is grace, and how grace is empowering. See, I, I, could, I could answer that last question and say, yeah, in many ways, I may even be here as I, as I consider myself a Christ follower. I may be more influenced by the ways of this world than perhaps I am at Christ at times. So where do I go from here? Well, the first step is recognizing that, that I am in need of a Savior. But now I want us to understand grace. Now, Paul says in this passage that, that you are saved by grace. And so I want to show you this real simple video. This real simple video is going to be about four minutes long. Um, it's, it's two people. It's a skit, guys. You've seen them. I've shown them before. And these two, these two guys are, are given this case of Peter and Jesus, okay? And when, when Jesus is resurrected and he's come back to find Peter, and he's like, some of this is ad lib. Some of this conversation they're having is actually in Scripture. But I believe this video does a brilliant job of giving... 
um, an example of, of finally getting to understand exactly what grace is. Okay, so as soon as this video is over, I'm going to explain this to you, and I hope you can find yourself in this story perhaps for the first time. So um, let's show this video titled Grace. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace. So grace is not about us. It's about Christ. And I want you to, to, to capture what exactly just happened there because it could be a little... I think the first time I watched this video, it was actually kind of easy to miss. 
We live our lives, and most of us would, would raise their hand and agree in this church that we are sinners. We know that we make mistakes and that we fall short of the glory of God. And we understand that, that we're inhuman. You even saw that kind of character in Peter here. He's saying, that, he's saying to him that, um, to Christ, that, man, it's so sorry about that rooster clucking thing, and, and you know, I'm a better person for it today. And he's, he's acknowledging some of those things that he knows that Jesus knows. And we believe about God somewhere in the back of our heads or in the front of our minds that he knows everything about us. And so, but what happened, this collision point that just happened in this video was was Peter is recognizing that his sin offended God. This is the part that many people never live with. They never recognize that their sin has an effect on their relationship with Christ. And there was an offense here. And so the first step, as I shared with you a moment ago, you want to use the word sin, you want to use the word death. That we recognize and acknowledge that we are in need of a Savior, that we have offended no one else other than the Lord. But immediately, at that point of conviction, of that point of recognition that our sin has actually offended God, because it always does, Peter is immediately met with grace. I don't think you get this. It's like this. It's like you're in a relationship with with, with your spouse or with your significant other. If you're in a dating relationship, It's like having a moment where that person comes to you and all of a sudden they've got this unfathomable knowledge and they shared with you every dark thought you have ever had about them. Every one of them. And and they start spouting them out to you and like, oh my gosh, I am so horrible. How could you know that? About me, it's like they're, you're just re, they're recapping everything they've ever thought about you, all the horrible things you've ever thought in your mind. And in that moment, they say, but I still love you. In fact, I love you more than I ever have before. That is grace. And without, an, without being first dead in our transgressions and being that we're recognizing that we're in need of a Savior, without first in, in, in grabbing hold to the, the, the destruction that our sin can cause, perhaps we will never understand grace. Grace is for people who get off the hook. That we realize that we have offended the Lord and he has forgiven us. And as he's sharing it with Peter in this passage, this mysterious passage in the book of John, he's saying, Peter, I know you're going to do it again. You're going to fail me again. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to distribute grace again. And then you're going to fall on your face again, and I'm going to, it's going to hurt, but I'm going to forgive you. See, the reason why we have to capture this and understand this idea of grace is because when we realize that we are people that are off the hook, that have been distributed grace, all of a sudden we don't take ourselves so seriously anymore. When other people do things that, that harm us, it's not that big of a deal. When we make mistakes in our lives, it's like, you know what, I'm forgiven. I, 
I, I, I'm just a big dork. I try my best, but, but, I'm, but I'm loved by God. And so there's this massive amount of grace that we have to distribute to others because we realize that grace keeps getting distributed to us every day. If you are a Christ follower and you have said yes, you have identified the darkness, the sin in your life and how you, were influ- you have been influenced by the world, and you said, said yes to Christ that I need you, that I am ready to give my life to you, and Christ has simply said yes to you, you are saved by grace. And so I want us to, as we begin, and I'm going to ask our deacons to come, um, if you can begin to, to strum dad for this song. Um, he's going to sing a song we've sung before called Grace Unending, as we partake of communion together. But as our deacons come, I want us all right now to have a moment of reflection. Um, right where you're sitting, I just want to encourage you to, to bow your head and close your eyes. So I prayed at the beginning of the service this morning. I said, you could, these can just be words coming from a talking head this morning, or God can do something in your life this morning. And I don't ever wish condemnation on anybody. There's this thing called conviction where in this moment, as, as, as the scripture tells us to examine ourselves before we partake of communion, I ask that you would examine yourself. Where is that area of sin in your life? That right now, just as that video where Peter was identified, that yeah, Peter, you had walked away from me. Peter, you really weren't expecting me to come back anymore, were you? When I told you that I would. Yeah, Peter, that hurt, but I forgive you. Right now, I want you to have that moment. That thing that God knows, that only, that, that only you and him know, but he's exposing it right now because you keep doing it. You haven't made a choice to stop yet. And now, in this moment, is your moment to ask for forgiveness. I want that moment for you because I want you to understand grace. I want you to understand just how unfathomably, uncomparably loved you are. (laughs) That there's nothing you can ever do that will separate you from the love of God. That you are off the hook. You are his child. You you, you says, I am so, even even in your failings, I'm so proud of you. Even in your failings, I got a plan for you. I got a vision for you. If you will just trust me and say yes to me how real our Lord is. So I want you to take your time and your moment of reflection. And as you are ready, we have two symbols up here. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and said, do this in remembrance of me. The blood is a symbol of death, as we have talked about this morning. But now we will also partake of the bread. You'll peel a piece of bread before you dip it in the cup. And the bread is a symbol of life. It's a symbol of sustenance. It's a symbol of grace that keeps coming, that keeps being distributed every time you keep saying, forgive me and say yes to God. Lord, forgive me. I'm saying yes to you again. Lord, forgive me. I keep saying yes to you and the grace just keeps coming and coming. But we first must be men and women that want to grow and want to die to ourselves and be men and women that are in need of a Savior. So as you're ready this morning, we, and I want to encourage you to sing this song as we partake of communion. 
I'm always available here to the left to pray for you. I would love to pray for you this morning if you would be in need of prayer. But will you come and partake with us as we sing grace unending together? You're invited to come forward. on
Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for our moments together this morning. When we say together, we're talking about each one of us here and also you. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that is present, that you are not far off. And if we will let you in moments, you remind us just how real you are. So my prayer is for everyone um, here this morning, that this week they would understand this grace. They would be reminded that you are a God is real, that you are a God that is present, even nearer now than when we first believed. And I pray throughout the course of today, throughout the course of this week, there would be just this sense of joy and knowing that they are loved by God. So awaken us to your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear Lord, we offer these gifts up to you freely and not grudgingly, for we know that you love each and every other. May the monies given here today be used for the better of our church and of our community, for we ask this in your name. Amen. Your benediction, may you go in the grace that you have been given, remembering it, identifying it, and distributing it as you learn to love God with your life. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.